great thou art. We praise you, we worship you, we magnify you. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we can be here tonight, that we can get into your word, that you can speak to our hearts. And O oh Lord, we pray that you have free reign with us tonight, that you minister and move, encourage us, strengthen us, exhort us. Whatever we need, O oh Father, you need it, you know it. And we just pray that you would do your work in us. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for who you are. And we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Such a blessing to be here with you tonight. <laughs> I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're just going to get right down to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to, us to look at verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Is that where your su sufficiency is from? You know, in this world today, everyone's saying, oh, you be your own woman. You're a woman. You cook the bacon, bring it home, and cook it too. You can do anything. But many times we see women who say, I can't do it. I'm inadequate. I'm insufficient. All these doubts and fears come in. And the truth of the matter is, it's a good thing to recognize that I'm not sufficient in and of myself. That my sufficiency must be not from me, but from God. If I just wallow in all of that, I just get depressed. But if I say, I'm not going to look at me. You know, I saw a thing the other day on the internet. And it was this lady saying, I just have to love my body. She said, you know, we look in the mirror and we say, oh, my body is so messed up. Oh, it's so ugly. It's so fat. It's so frumpy. Da, 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 da. I just got to love my body. <laughs> that ain't going to do you much good. <laughs> to realize that it's not about my body. It's not about me. You see, there's a little bird inside of us and it has one tune. Me, 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 me. That's why when you get a group picture, who do you look for? You look for you. And you look at that picture, and if it's a good picture of you, you say, my, this is a good group picture. If it's a bad picture, you say, who took this? It's all about me. That's what the enemy wants you to focus on. That's what your flesh wants you to focus on. Me, 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 me. That's why we take selfies. Right? There's even a magazine, Self. But you see, the problem is when we get in life and the reality of life, we find out that me can't do it. Me is insufficient. You see, I need someone higher than I am. I need someone greater than I am. I need someone stronger than I am. I can't do it. You know, the first beatitude, and I love the, the fact that it, they're called beatitudes because it's the attitude you should be. Did you know that? The first beatitude, in fact, keep your finger here at 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. 
Matthew 5, verse 1. I, I kind of like to move around in the Bible. It's kind of like doing your walking through the white pages. And I want you to see it because sometimes people say the, the Bible says this and the Bible says that, but I like to look at it with my own eyeballs. How about you? Okay, Matthew 5, verse 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that literally means? I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. I need him. I love that song we sing, I'm desperate for him. I'm lost without him. Can you say that? I can't depend on me. I mess up. I make mistakes. Oh, I look back. I've had five girls, of all things, five girls. And I look back and I think, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. You can live in the shoulda, woulda, couldas. You know what I mean? Oh, God. I remember I heard a story. Ruth Graham was with her daughter on a radio program. And the person that was interviewing her said, Ruth, did you make any mistakes? Oh, yes, I made lots of mistakes. She said, but every night I'd go into my children's beds and I'd pray over and I'd say, oh, Lord, just cover my mistakes. And her daughter that was with her, Gigi, turned to her and said, Mom, you didn't make any mistakes. She said, oh, thank God he answered those prayers. <laughs> yeah, we look back. I should have done this. I should have done that. But the realization is I'm nothing. See, I desperately need him. And then the next one says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that mourning is not talking about someone who passes away and you're mourning their death and he's going to comfort you over that. No, it's the one who mourns over their sin. To recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You know, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. When he shows us that we have need of a Savior, that we're a sinner. You know, just by nature, we think we're okay. Because you see, I never killed anybody. At least not with a gun. But I sure have done it with my mouth. We think we're okay. But then the Holy Spirit says, oh no. There's that one sin of lying. You know, we only told one lie in our whole life. That one sin sends me to hell. That one sin gives me that gift of eternity apart from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Oh, God, I, I mourn over that sin. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. You know the awesome thing about God, though? That when I recognize I have sin, I can go to God and I can confess that sin. And 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You know, sometimes we look back, we have regrets. We didn't go to Jesus. Oh, Lord, forgive me. He cleanses us. I was with a lady one time at a retreat, and she turned to me, and we were standing in front of this, the front desk of the lobby of the retreat center. And there was a, a young college girl standing there. And she said, you know, I, I look at these college girls, and they're all pure. Interesting. <laughs> they're all pure, not like me. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Because he, for, he forgives us of our sins. She said, I know he does, but I don't feel forgiven. That's the key word. Because the enemy can come and lie and say, oh, you're not forgiven. You're not forgiven. God can't forgive you for that. But he says he can forgive us of all things. 
If we confess those sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. I told her, I said, ma'am, it sounds like to me you're dwelling on the feeling part. It's like a train. You've got the engine. That's the fact of God's Word. And then the middle is the coal car. It's the faith to believe the fact. And you know what the caboose is? The caboose is the feeling. We, don't, we have to push that feeling aside. Oh, Lord, I come to you and I ask for forgiveness. I mourn over that sin and you forgive me. As we were talking, the little girl behind the desk finally said, Excuse me, I heard you talking. I just want to tell her we're not pure. <laughs> That's how the enemy lies and deceives. And then he might say, You have no sin. You're okay. You're fine. You do it all right. And that's a lie too. So blessed are those who say I'm nothing and I mourn over my sin. And, and verse 5 says, blessed are the meek. You know what the meek says? I surrender my rights. You know, the world is telling you, you have rights. You have rights as a citizen. You have rights as a woman. You have all these rights. A woman has a right over her body. And if she wants to get rid of that fetus inside of her. She has the right. Jesus says, will you give me your rights? Because that's what it means to say, I'm insufficient. I don't have any rights. I surrender those rights. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm insufficient. I have no sufficiency. And then it's so cool because you go on down and it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, when you recognize you're nothing, you have nothing, you can do nothing, when you mourn over your sin, when you surrender your rights, then you're emptied of me, emptied of self. And then it says, you're going to hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. The Bible also says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these other things will be added to you. So we're emptied of self and then we're hungering for righteousness. And it says you shall be filled. So it's important that we recognize our insufficiency. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, forward, I guess you'd say. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. You know the awesome thing? We sang about amazing grace tonight. And we know that it was God's grace, when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we know that it was God's grace that brought us to himself. Because we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were captives. We were in prison, so to speak, to our flesh, to this world, and to Satan. He led us around like we had a, a hoop in our nose and he was leading us around. And it says, but God, but God who saw me in that state that I couldn't help myself, I couldn't save myself, I couldn't keep the law. Have you ever tried to be good? I've tried to be good. It doesn't last long. Especially when you go to retreats, you go home. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do it all right. And what happens by Tuesday? It's like dieting, right? I'm going to diet. And then by Wednesday or Thursday, I'll start next week. You know? 
We can't. The Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. Aren't you thankful God has a lot of mercy to give us? I desperately need his mercy. I desperately need him. He's rich in mercy. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The salvation's not of you. The faith is not of you. The grace is not of you. It's all from God. By his grace we are saved. That's his grace for salvation. But then it keeps going. God doesn't give you a little measure of grace and then say, see you around till you die. He continues to give you grace for everything that comes along the way. That's where that trust comes in. Do I choose to trust God no matter what comes? No matter what happens? No, what, no matter what brought life brings? Am I trusting him? I trusted him for salvation. Am I going to continue trusting him until I meet him one day in heaven? His grace. So I'm not sufficient in myself. My sufficiency is from God. And then that chapter goes on and it starts comparing two things. It compares Moses and the law and it compares grace that came through Jesus. Look at verse 6. Who also, God, made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. For if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, remember the stones that Moses got when he went up in the mountains and he came down with the Ten Commandments on the stones? was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. You see, when Moses would go before God, God wanted to speak directly to the people, but it scared him too much. He was scary because his voice was loud and there was fire and all these things happening. And no, 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 Moses, you go, you go. And Moses went up on that mountain and was right there with God. But when he came down, his face was glowing so much so that the people said, put on a veil. We can't handle your face. It's shining because you've been in the presence of God. But guess what? Before long, that shining, that glory would depart. Because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You see, what Jesus did on the cross is not passing away. It lasts for eternity. The work of redemption that he performed for us. You see, he was willing to leave heaven. He was willing to leave being worshipped and adored in heaven and come down and become a man like us. It's kind of like uh, if Geppetto would become a puppet like Pinocchio. Geppetto, the creator of Pinocchio, would become a wooden puppet. God, the creator. You see, man couldn't save himself. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God gave them only one rule. Can you imagine? You can eat of every tree in this garden but one. What was that tree? That one tree. You can have everything else but not that one. And I bet Eve, every time she passed that tree, thought, Oh, what is it about that fruit? Because we always want what we shouldn't have, don't we? That's like chocolate. I don't salivate when I go in the grocery store, when I look at cauliflower. <laughs> but honey, put me in that chocolate aisle. 
and I just start salivating all over the place. I always want what I shouldn't have. And that was Eve. She wanted it. And then there was somebody else in the garden, too. <laughs> oh, Eve, <laughs> I noticed you've been looking at the fruit again. <laughs> what is it God said about that tree? <laughs> well, God said I shouldn't eat of that tree or I would die. He even said I shouldn't touch it. Oh, Eve. <laughs> You shall not surely die. <laughs> you will be as God. Ooh. And you see, Eve looked at that tree, and that tree looked that tree, the fruit of that tree looked good. She wanted it. She wanted it real bad. <laughs> and then the enticement of I'll be like God. You see, that was the same lie that Satan believed. When he was up in heaven, he was right there. But he wanted to be as God. And what happened? He got kicked out. And now he's using the same lie with Eve. Eve, you will be as God. Go ahead, eat the fruit. Who cares what God says? And Eve did. She partook of the fruit. And then she turned because, you see, Adam was right there. And she turned to him, and she handed him the fruit. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Eve was deceived, but Adam knew, and Adam also took the fruit. And he ate of the fruit. And what happened? Immediately, it says their eyes were open. They looked at each other. She said, Adam, you're naked. He said, She's, you are too, Eve. You think, why didn't they know that before? Because you see, now innocence was gone. Sin had entered the world. What did God have to do? You say, God is a God of justice. God is a God of holiness. And his justice has to be satisfied. He's a righteous God. Did you know that in heaven, that's the one attribute of God that the angels are repeating three times. Holy, holy, holy. It's emphasis. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And we can't satisfy that righteousness. We have none. We don't have any righteousness at all. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. And ladies, that's a used tampon. <laughs> I didn't say that. The Bible did. That's what it says. It's used menstrual cloths. Do you know in Israel that when a woman was in that time of the month, she couldn't touch anybody? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> Stay away. I can't cook either. I know it's been a month, but, uh, and can you imagine when she was finished with that time of the month, she'd have to go present an offering to the priest? Wouldn't you love that? I had five daughters. Can you imagine the flock of doves we'd have to have, all these offerings? But he compared our righteousness to those filthy menstrual cloths, those filthy rags, the unclean, the, the epitome of unclean. So basically, we have no righteousness. Adam and Eve had no righteousness once they partook of the fruit. God, that God of holiness, that God of righteousness, that God of justice demanded payment for that sin. But you see, the other side of God is the God of love, the God of mercy, and the God of grace. And there was no man who was righteous, who could save man. The sacrifice had to be righteous, had to be holy. And so God had to send his son 
It had to be one who was sinless. And that was Jesus. God in the flesh. You know, I live out in Southern California, and we have a lot of Mexican food. And one of the great foods that we love to eat is carne asada. Carne means meat. So when I think of the incarnation, God in the flesh, I think carne asada. I can always remember it that way. God in the flesh. That was Jesus. God had to save us because of his love and his mercy and his grace. He chose to do that for us. So he took that little lamb, that precious lamb that was Adam's pet, and he had to kill that lamb in order to make clothes for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. They tried to do it with fig leaves. Honey, I don't know if you felt the fig leaf, but it's scratchy, itchy, and it's milky. Yuck. Probably helps stick it together, you know? But when a, a leaf dries, what happens? Woo, that's a mini, mini. God had to kill an animal in order to cover their nakedness. They couldn't do it. Just like we can't cover our sin. We're insufficient. We can't keep the law. We're insufficient. That's why he had to send his son to die for us. We now, if we accept this gift from God, have the righteousness of Jesus. It's kind of like I'm giving up my righteousness, which is filthy rags, and I'm accepting God's gift of the righteousness of Jesus. And his blood, when he died on the cross, covered my sin. I love it in Isaiah because it talks about the robes of righteousness. Don't you love a robe? It covers a multitude of stuff. I love it. And that's what he says. His righteousness covers us. So now we can have a relationship with God. Okay. So it says in verse 8, How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And that's the righteousness of Jesus. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious... What remains is much more glorious. Moses and the keeping of the law is passing away. God knew we couldn't keep it. So you say, well, why did he give us the law in the first place? Guess what? The law is our tutor. The law shows us our sin. There are a lot of people in this world that don't realize they're sinners. If you ask them, are you a sinner? They'd say, oh, no. But you see, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, show us our sin. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, have you ever lied? Nope, you just did. Because <laughs> we've all lied, haven't we? So the law shows me my sin so that I can accept that gift of salvation. I need it. I'm a sinner. And then in verse 11, For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. You see, when you don't accept Jesus' gift of salvation, you're still veiled. You're still looking to yourself to save you. 
bad choice. I can't save myself. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is liberty. That literally means there is triumph. You see, now I don't have to fear when I die. When I was growing up, my parents were missionaries in Brazil. And somehow I got it in my mind that I had to be good. And I remember a, a visiting missionary came and she had us take out a piece of paper and she said, I want you to write on that paper, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? I wrote yes, because I was afraid somebody would see my paper. But in my heart of hearts, I didn't know. Because I, like I said, I thought I had to be good enough and I keep, kept messing up. It was like, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay, uh-oh. <laughs> Back to the beginning. Finally, I was in college, and this good-looking football player asked me out on a date. We went to a Youth for Christ meeting, and he was sharing his testimony. And I'm listening to him, and I'm listening to him tell about his relationship with Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's what I want. That's what I want. So we got by in the, back in the car, and I was talking to him and kind of acting like I knew what he was talking about, but I really didn't. And then he said, oh, we better take you back to your dormitory. And as we were riding back, he said, let's sing Blessed Assurance. You know the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine? Well, you know what? That's what I didn't have was Blessed Assurance. But as we were riding back to my dormitory, all of a sudden, it was like God showed me his love for me. And he showed me that it wasn't what I could do for him, but what he had done for me. He loved me not because I was wonderful or because I kept the law, but because he chose to love me. Isn't that incredible? Did you know that one of the attributes of God is that he's omniscient? That literally means he's all-knowing. He knows everything about you, honey. Psalm 139, it says he knows when you rise up and when you sit down. Some of you rise more than you sit. Some of you sit more than you rise. He knows that about you. It says that he knows the words on your tongue before you ever say them. Don't you wish he'd stop them sometime? <laughs> I do. He knew you in your mother's womb before your mama knew you. He knows everything about you. I've often thought, I'm so thankful I don't have a teleprompter up here. Because sometimes the thoughts that pass through my mind, I don't want everybody to know. But God knows all of it. And the amazing thing is that even knowing us in the depths that he knows us, everything about us, you know, we try to cover things. Have you ever had those nails put on so that your nails look better than they are? I went to California one time, and my friend said, Janie, you can't go out there with your nails. They're the land of the red claws. You have to have good nails when you go out there. I said, really? She said, yeah, I bought you some Lee's press-on nails. And she pressed them on me. And I went out there, and the whole time I was scared to death I was going to do something to lose a nail. Like I'd speak, and the nail would fling off and hit a lady in the face. Actually, when I was going there, I went to get a magazine in the, in the uh, airplane, and one of my nails fell down in the pocket. And I'm like this, trying to find it. And then I found one of my pantyhose. It's unbelievable. Scared to death that they would find out the truth. 
Well, I got home. I didn't have any more. I used those little tabs to stick them on, you know. I didn't use the glue. I got home and I ran out of tabs, so I used some tape. And I got to church that Sunday and we were singing and it was a song I really liked and I clapped my hands and all four nails fell off. I thought, do I bend down and pick them up or just leave them alone? And then I got naked fingers, you know, I'm going like this to look things up in the Bible. We try to impress. Remember when we wore the shoulder pads to make you look taller than you are? Yeah. Problem was they'd fall down. Fall down to your elbows and you look like Popeye. I just wish they'd fall forward. I could have used that. I remember one time I was in the church and a girl was getting married and I got in the church and I was kind of adjusting things, you know how we do, and I was like, oh, my shoulder pad's missing and it's the one that has the Velcro. I thought, oh, oh no, it can't be. That bride's gonna go down the aisle. It's gonna be on the back of her dress. And I'm serious, I'm searching everywhere. I was holding my baby, it was on her back. We try to cover up. We don't want anybody to know the truth about us, right? But he knows it all. And he chooses to love us. And that night, that became a reality to me. He loved me because he chose to love me, knowing everything about me. Oh, God, you're amazing. And so I started crying. And this young man looked at me and he said, what's the matter? And I said, oh, I just realized Jesus loves me. And he looked at me, because I met him at a youth camp where I was a counselor, and he was a counselor, and he said, Janie, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And I said, I don't know. He said, let's make sure right now. And we prayed, and I asked Jesus into my heart, and I'll tell you from that night on, I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. I wasn't sufficient to save myself, but he was sufficient to show me his love and let me know that I could have salvation through him. That guy was so confused. He said, I've been praying to leave someone to the Lord, but I never dreamed it'd be you. <laughs> and he was so cute, I married him. <laughs> yeah, amen. That's the rest of the story. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I had liberty. I had triumph. I was set free from my sin. I was set free from me. I was set free from Satan. I was set free from this world. That's an awesome liberty that God gives us. But we all, with unveiled face, you see, when I ask Jesus into my heart, my face is no longer veiled. I now see him for who he is. And I can partake of his love, his mercy, his grace, even his discipline. Did you know that he loves you so much he will discipline you? And he says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he disciplines you so that you can partake, that you can share in his holiness. I love when she read that verse tonight in Colossians. I am qualified. Don't you love that? You are qualified for heaven because of Jesus, not because of us. So we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, God has a plan for everyone in this room. 
And he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He doesn't say, what were those plans I had? Where did I put them? You know, we're like that. Have you ever walked in a room, you can't figure out why you're there? That's not God. He knows the plans. He even has your name engraved on his hand. He catches your tears in a bottle. Turn with me, excuse me, to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And I want you to look at verse 29. We always quote Romans 8, 28. I want you to look at 29. It says, for whom he foreknew. And ladies, if you look at that chapter of 139 in Psalms, it says, again, he knew you when you were being knit together in your mother's womb. It says in Ephesians 1, he chose you from the foundation of the world. Ooh, that was a long time ago. Some of you look that old. No, he chose you. So he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. This is his plan for every Christian. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's his plan for your life, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus, that you be like Jesus, that you have the fragrance of Jesus, that you have the attitude of Jesus, that you are like him. Now, that's a tough order, except that we're dealing with God, mighty God, and he can do anything. He can even change us. He can even change our hearts. You know, he says he wants to take the stony heart. Many times we have a stone heart, a hardened heart. He says he wants to take out that stony heart and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that loves, a heart that is humble and meek. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to create in us. I can't bring it forth in myself. It's impossible. But he wants to do that in me. Look up at verse eight, uh, Romans 8, 28. And we know that some things work together for good. Is that what it says? What does it say? All things. How many is all? All includes the good, the bad, and even the ugly. All things work together for good. doesn't say all things are good, but all things work together for good to those who love God. And why do I love God? Because he first loved me. And he demonstrated his love to me in that Jesus was willing to die for me. I love it. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he became the propitiation for our sin. And that literally means he gave us, who believe, perfect righteousness which satisfied God's justice because his justice demands payment for sin. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What did we just find out his purpose is? 
that we be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants to do a work in us. And then look back up to um, verse 23. You never read a chapter backwards. Here we go. Verse 20 says, Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we, have, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. And that's not what I was wanting to read. Anyway, we'll continue. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope in what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. How many of you are weak? If you didn't raise your hand, I know you are anyway. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Do you realize that God is working everything in your life, everything, ladies, for, it, for your good, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for you with groanings too deep for words. What's Jesus doing? Look over here at verse 34. Who is he who condemns? Is it Jesus? No. It's your flesh. It's, the whole, it's Satan himself. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Can you believe that? The Holy Spirit, Jesus, are making intercession for us all the time. And God is causing everything in your life to work together for good. Now, I want you to turn to first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 5. We do not preach ourselves... But Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. I'm insufficient, I'm just a clay pot. But what do I have in me? I have the treasure of Jesus in me. We are hard-pressed on every side. You know, we all go through seasons of life. Sometimes those seasons are hard. And we feel hard-pressed on every side. Somebody described it, I feel sometimes like the water is right up here about to overflow me but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. You've ever been perplexed about things in your life? But we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. And you know, the truth of the matter is in America, we don't even understand persecution, do we? Have you heard about this lady that's pregnant? And because she's a Christian, they have sentenced her to be hanged, to be flogged, and then to be hung just because she's a believer. Saeed, who is in prison right now in Iran because of his faith in Jesus, 
We don't even comprehend persecution. And yet he says we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Why? Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. You see, the me, me, and me self has to die because I want the life of Jesus to come forth from my life. And as long as self is on the throne, I'm not going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for me. That's natural. That's part of our nature. This is going the other way. This is saying, oh, God, I want to be like you. I want to love like you love. I want to have that peace and that joy that is the fruit of your Holy Spirit. But, ladies, it comes by death. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, I used to think deliverance would mean I was taken out of the trial, right? Oh, God, deliver me, deliver me. This says I'm being delivered to death. Wow. You see, as I behold his glory, as I behold him and who he is, I begin to understand that God loves me so much He's not going to allow me to destroy myself. He's going to cause me to die to myself because he wants his life to be lived through me. We who live are always, it says always, not sometimes, not maybe, not if, we're always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. I love that song, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. You know that little light? Yeah. I want his light to shine through me. It says, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You know what that bushel can be many times? My mouth. In Philippians 2, it says that through our murmuring and complaining, our light is hidden. Because, see, when I'm murmuring and complaining, I'm saying, God, you're not doing it right. I think it's better if you do it this way. I'm just like the world. I remember one time I was standing in a line at Walmart. I hate it when that light comes on and they have to do a price check. And I'm sitting there. It came on. I'm thinking, oh, not again. I can't believe it. I've even switched lines and the light comes on over there. And I'm thinking all this in my mind, and I turn around, and the lady behind me, I turn to her and I say, well, you're just like me. You know how to pick the wrong line. She says, yes, but, you know, God's in control. I'm going to a shower, and it's about ready to start, but he'll get me there when I'm supposed to be there. Oh, my goodness, I felt like I just got a spanking, you know. God took me, God took me to the backwoods and gave me a whooping. I said, you're right. Oh, yes, God's in control, you know. I had to start speaking Christianese. She looked at me, and she said, aren't you Janie Alfred? I said, no, I don't know the woman. <laughs> 
Busted. Is your light shining? You're just a clay pot. But man, when that light of Jesus shines through you, when they see his joy, when they see his peace that passes all understanding, when they, they taste the saltiness of your relationship with him, what does salt do? It makes you thirsty. I want what she has. You see, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Things come into my life just like somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I'm not, you know, prevented from going through hard places. When I was 23 years old, I got word that my parents had been in a plane crash. And my mom, my dad, and my sister were killed. My little brother was 14 the day of the crash. And miraculously, he survived. They were in South America. And they brought him back to the States. And I spent months with him because he had burns and he had to have skin grafts and all those things. You see, God's grace was sufficient. God gave me his peace through that difficult time. If you had asked me ahead of time if I could have endured that, I would have said, no way. I can't imagine losing most of my family. But you see, God knew and God prepared me and God sustained me. He gave me the grace to get through that trial. All these things are happening. And then it says, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Ain't that the truth? You look in the mirror, what do you see? It's perishing. It's drooping. I think pretty soon I'm going to eat my cereal and the milk's going to run down a crevice that I have on this side. Outward man's perishing. I don't care how many facelifts you get. You can't lift it enough. Pretty soon your ear's going to be behind your head. Right? Outward man's perishing. But look at this. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, and listen to this, eternal weight of glory. Ladies, these things that God allows into your life are to prepare you for eternity. They teach you that you can trust him. They teach you that you can trust in his faithfulness. They teach you that you can rely on him. You can rest in him. That he's a faithful God. That he's a good God. That he's a loving God. That he's there for you. Turn with me. To Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. It's right after Jeremiah. And look at verse 19. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. You know, sometimes when you're going through trials, when you're going through difficult times, you have to remind yourself, God is with me. Remind yourself that he got you through other trials in your life. Remember the children of Israel when they passed 
or they came to the Jordan River, they were finally going to enter the Promised Land after 40 years of wandering. And wouldn't you know it, they get there and the Jordan is overflowing. I can just hear them. I can't believe it. We finally get here after all this time and God has this thing flooding. But you see, it was a test. This time, God didn't just pull the waters back. He said, I want the priest to step into the water and then it's going to happen. That took faith. And as they stepped in the water, the waters pulled back and all the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. And then he said, I want you to take 12 stones from the middle and I want you to pile them up on the shore. Those became stones of remembrance. Remember that I allowed you to cross the Jordan River. Remember the Red Sea. Remember I brought you out of the wilderness. Remember my faithfulness. And that's what God wants us to do. Will you remember my faithfulness? He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. In, in Psalm 137, it says, feed on his faithfulness. We can feed on a lot of things, can't we? We can feed on fears. We can feed on doubts. We can feed on all these things. But he says, feed on my faithfulness. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. I love the hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You see, ladies, we have hope. We have hope now, and we have hope in eternity. He's the God of hope, and he says his hope will be an anchor to our soul. You see, when I get my eyes off of him, when I get my eyes on the circumstances and my fears and my doubts and my I shoulda, woulda, coulda and all those things, I become hopeless. I feel like I'm not going to make it. But he says, when you keep your eyes on me, when you behold my glory, when you just focus on me and who I am, how do I know that? From his word. That's how I learn who he is. And when I focus on that, then I have hope. Then I can keep going forward because I know he will be faithful because I know I can trust him. He's a faithful God. Now turn with me to Jeremiah 17. We're going back and forth. It's right in the next book before. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. You know what, ladies? That is natural for us. We want to trust in man. We want somebody to bail us out. We want somebody to love us, somebody to give us hope. Listen, we aren't going to find it in the government, are we? I think not. You can't even find it in another person. Because you see, although God himself is unchanging, that's one of his attributes. He's immutable. That means he never changes. 
He's the same yesterday, today, forever. His word is unchanging. His promises are unchanging. I can legitimately trust in him, but my flesh says, I want somebody to trust in. I want somebody to lean on. I want somebody to make me feel good. And God says, if you only will trust me, if you only will keep your eyes on me. You see, I used to put my husband up there where God is. I used to have him on a pedestal. Oh, he's so wonderful. And guess what? God kicked him off the pedestal. I saw the truth. (laughs) And he knows the truth about me too. And you know what? It was a good thing. And we, we kind of ended up having a hard marriage. Yeah. I'd say black, and he'd say white. And I'd say black, and he'd say white. I asked a friend of mine one time, I said, I just don't get it. We fight all the time. She said, well, why do you think you have to win? I said, because I'm right. Is that dumb or what? She said, it's your pride. Ooh, that hurt. It's your pride. You see, we want that somebody to be all for us. Some people think if I just get this job or I just get, I go to this school and get this diploma or if I have this cute boyfriend or whatever, that's going to satisfy my needs. It's going to make me happy. And God says, oh, no, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oop, kicks them off the pedestal. I have to go back to Jesus. I have to go back to Jesus and say, oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me for trying to make somebody my strength instead of you, instead of depending on you. Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. And shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is uninhabited, is not inhabited. You know what that is? A shrub in the desert? That's a tumbleweed. How many of you have ever seen a tumbleweed? When I first went to California, I had never seen a real tumbleweed, only the cowboy movies. And when we saw one, we stopped our car. We were so excited. We picked it up and we took it with us. (laughs) Souvenir from California. What do you do with a tumbleweed? Nothing. It's no good. You see, a tumbleweed is a a plant that's come loose from its bearings. The only hope that tumbleweed has is just to roll around in the desert. Roll around, nothing to hold it down. And that's what he says we become when we're trusting in man, when we're trusting in ourselves, when we're trusting in whatever. That's why the singers say, I can't get no satisfaction. You know why? Because the only one who satisfies is Jesus. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. But look at verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought 
nor cease from yielding fruit. You see, ladies, I don't know what's around the corner in my life. I don't know. I didn't know seven years ago that my 19-year-old daughter was going to be murdered by her boyfriend. I didn't know that. I couldn't even conceive of losing my child. In fact, today's her birthday. She would have been 27. But you see, God knew. And only because I've been planted, my roots are deep in him, was I able to get through that crisis and have his peace that passes all understanding. I'll never forget it when we got the call that there had been an accident. We didn't know at the time that what it was, her boyfriend pushed her out of the car. And we raced to the hospital. And as soon as that ambulance pulled in, they rolled her into the emergency room, and then the doctor came out shortly, and he said, we can't get a heartbeat. I never expected to hear that. There was a lady sitting in the waiting room. She was a new Christian, and her son had had an accident. She was in there with her son. She didn't want to be there because she lived somewhere else and didn't want to have to go to that hospital. And she heard all the commotion. And she said she felt like God was saying to go pray for that woman. She turned to her son. She said, I feel like God wants me to go pray for that lady. He said, go. So she went. She came out to me. And I'm telling you the truth, I, I, I couldn't even think. And she said to me, do you want me to call somebody for you? I couldn't even think. She was on one side. Another lady came beside me and started praying in Spanish for me. And this lady called somebody for me and started praying. Little did she know that I had been a retreat speaker at a retreat she had gone to earlier in the year. Because I was out of context. You know, you don't recognize people when you're not at the, same re at the retreat together. And she called the Costa Mesa Calvary. The next day she said, who is that person that lost their child? And they said, well, it's Janie Alvarez. She said, what? She couldn't, but you see, God was there. God was with me. I was, they called me back in. They said, come right now. She, she's not going to make it. And I went in there and literally watched the line go flat. And as soon as that happened, a lady came walking in. She said, I'm a chaplain in this hospital, and I wasn't supposed to be here today. But I came to pick something up, and I heard about your situation, and I had to come talk to you. She said, my son was murdered a year ago in Mexico, and I want to share with you what God spoke to me. And ladies, I can't tell you, the words that lady said were like the balm of Gilead. It was like oil pouring over me. His oil, his oil of peace. She spoke the very words I needed to hear. And I said to her, you have been comforted by God. And now you're comforting me. Do you know that I never could find that lady after that? I went back to the hospital with flowers. I have never found her again. I don't know who she was. But I do know that she was sent by God to be with me when that year of drought, when that anxious time, when the heat came in my life, she was there for me. And all my Christian friends were there for me. 
ministering to me, praying for me. I met a lady down the road who lost her child. Her child was murdered also. She said, how do you get through it? She's not a Christian. She said, I, I want to kill myself. I, I have to get some medication. I can't do this. How do you do it? How do you do it? And I said, ma'am, the truth is, it's because of God. It's because I have him in my life. You see, many of her friends had witnessed to her, and she wanted no part of it. It's because I have him. I have his people praying for me. That's how I get through. And God's given me many opportunities to share with women who've lost children. It's, it's really tough. But God is the God of all comfort. And it says that he'll be with us if our roots are deep. You know, I used to live in Mississippi. Hurricane Camille, most of you only remember Katrina, but Hurricane Camille came through the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We had spent the night down there the week before, and when that TV came along the coast, the motel we stayed in was gone. There was nothing left. I used to think, where did all the bathtubs go? Probably some farmer in Iowa was saying, where'd all these bathtubs come from? Gone. But you know what remained? I mean, literally ships were picked up out of the water and put on the shore. Hotels were thrown over. But the thing that remained were oak trees who had been planted in that soil during the Civil War. Those oak trees' roots were so deep that when that hurricane came and knocked over man-made structures, those trees remained in the ground. And it says the same thing. We will not fear when heat comes because our roots are deep in Jesus. We won't be anxious in the year of drought nor cease from yielding fruit. Maybe you're going through a dry time spiritually. Maybe you, don't, you can't feel God. You can't feel his love. But listen, he says in his word that he loves you. And when that feeling game is going on, you have to say, I can't look at the feelings. I have to listen to the fact. And the fact is his word. And he says, I love you. I died for you. He's faithful. Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We're beholding his glory right now as we look at these passages. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We've got counsel all around. We hear it on TV. We always have the counsel of the world. You're blessed if you don't walk after that counsel or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. We see scorners constantly in this world, don't we? People who mock Christians and mock God and mock relationship with Jesus. This person says, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to hang out with those people. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His word. In his law, he meditates day and night. Have you ever seen a cow chewing cud? When they chew, they go like this. And then they swallow, and it goes down to their first stomach. Did you know they had two? 
Only time I want to is when I go to a hometown buffet. But um, <laughs> they have two stomachs, and it goes down to the first stomach. And then if you get close, which I didn't do personally, but I heard it on a movie, the guy got close with his microphone, and you could hear this gurgle, gurgle. And all of a sudden, the cow's going, yeah, yeah, that's where your milk comes from. He chews again. I think about that when I read this verse. He meditates day and night. You take a portion of God's word and you meditate, right? If you meditate on his word, you're going to regurgitate his word, right? That's right. You'll never forget that. <laughs> In his law, he meditates day and night. And guess what the result is? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and in whatever he does, whatever he does shall prosper. There's nothing like fruit in season, is there? You know, sometimes you get fruit in the middle of the winter, you want to spit it out. I used to live in Colorado. And we would get peaches from the western slope of Colorado. You would take a bite of that peach, and it, that, it, the juice would just run down your face. One time somebody gave me a bushel to can. They never made it to the can. <laughs> we couldn't wait to eat those peaches. And after that, I went to California for a retreat, and I had, there was a bowl of fruit in my room, and right on top was this beautiful peach. And I'm thinking, oh those peaches. I forgot I was in California. I picked up that peach. I took a bite. It was dry. It was mushy. It had no flavor whatsoever. It wasn't in the right season. What about watermelon? Oh, you can plant a watermelon up above my grave and let the juice run through. Oh, you can plant a watermelon up above my grave, and that's all I ask of you. Now, chicken and dumplings taste mighty fine, but there's nothing any finer than a watermelon rind. Oh, you can plant a watermelon up above my grave and let the juice run through. I just wanted to wake you up. <laughs> Juicy watermelon in season. There's nothing like it, right? We're getting ready for that season in the summer. This says you'll be that fruit in season. You'll be bringing forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be juicy. They're going to want to partake of you. That comes as I meditate and delight in the law of the Lord day and night. Beholding His glory Beholding his character, his person. Beholding his promises, his truth. Beholding his principles and his ways. Beholding his purposes and his plans. Beholding his provision. I'll never forget one time we were assistant pastors at a church. And we got in the car that morning and my husband said to me, we only have this amount of money for the rest of the month. And I thought, there's no way. How can we do that? 
It has to go for groceries. It has to go for gas. It won't stretch that far. And I was driving. We were going to church. I was going to babysit for a Bible study. And all the way, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, how's that going to go? How's that going to go? And he kept saying, trust me. I got to the church. I was babysitting in the nursery. And this lady comes to the door. Her name was Janet. She was a single mom in our church. And she said to me, Janie, this morning God spoke to my heart. And he told me to give you something. And she reached in her pocket and pulled out a $20 bill. She said, the Lord said to give you this. I said, Janet, I'm not taking that from you. You need it more than I do. She said, are you going to rob me of the blessing God wants to give me? <laughs> I don't want to rob you. Well, take it. <laughs> I think she was having second doubts. Take it, take it. So I took it, and I'm thinking, Lord, why didn't you send a rich person to give me money? I wouldn't have felt bad taking it from them. Then the church secretary called me when I finished babysitting. She said, oh, Emily, a lady in our church, wants you to stop by her house. Okay. I stopped. Emily said, come here, come here. She took me in her dining room. Her dining room was filled with groceries. The whole dining room. She said, the Lord woke me up this morning and told me to get these groceries for you. I thought, God's been busy this morning. <laughs> I had to take several trips to get all those groceries in my car, and it was stuff I wouldn't have bought for my kids that she bought. They were so excited when I got home. You see, that became a stone of remembrance for me. And now when my pockets are empty, I say, but I remember. I remember Janet, and I remember Emily, and I remember God, how you use those saints to provide for my needs. I remember your faithfulness. We found out we were going to be moving from California to Colorado, freezing in Colorado. I didn't have any warm clothes, didn't have any blankets. And I'm one day in my little prayer book, I said, oh, Lord, we need blankets. I didn't tell anybody. A friend of mine invited me over for lunch. She said, I know you're leaving. I want you to come for lunch. So I went. When I got ready to leave, I saw these big bags by the door. She said, you see those bags? They're for you. I said, me? She said, yeah, look inside. An electric blanket for everybody in my family. God didn't want me to freeze in Colorado. He's so good. You know, sometimes the best thing he can do is give you a need. Did you know that? If he just provided everything you needed or you could do it for yourself, would you be thankful? Would you be looking to him? My daughter's a missionary in Belgium. And when they moved, all their furniture got there and her bed was covered with mold, her mattress. And there's no way they could clean it. And she called me, she said, Mom, our mattress, we have to throw it away. It's covered with mold. I said, oh. And in my heart, I'm thinking, God, I need money. Make my tree in the backyard grow some money so I can bail out my kid. And he spoke to my heart. And he said, I've given her that need. It's going to teach her to trust me. And I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for a bed. Well, first of all, she was sleeping on the couch, and he was sleeping on a single bed they had in their guest room. And then she said the couch got too bad, so they both were sleeping in a single bed. I thought, thank God it's them, not me, because I wouldn't fit. But months went by. And every time she would say, oh, Mom, are you still praying for my bed? Yes, I'm praying, I'm praying. 
God answered that prayer right before Christmas. And she called me. She said, oh, Mama, we got a bed. I'm rejoicing. Oh, I never thought a bed could be so wonderful. She's going on and on about her bed. She didn't say that about her bed before. But you see, now she was appreciative. She had learned to be thankful. You know, that's something we forget a lot of times, isn't it? It says in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will reign in your heart. See, when he gives you a need, it's because he wants to teach you you need him. He's teaching you to trust. He's letting your roots go deep, deep down in the earth. And when those storms come, when those winds roar, like right now in California, those fires right near my house. But you see, I've learned I can trust in him. He's a faithful God. Because you see, when I behold him, I see his faithfulness. I see his goodness. I remember his loving kindness. And all those things enable me to go through the storm and the drought. Those things enable me to bear fruit in season and to be thankful. Are you beholding him? Are you trusting in him? He is our sufficiency. And we can legitimately depend on him. Let's pray. Lord, as we behold you in your word, we see what an awesome powerful, wonderful God you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your plan. We thankful for, thank you for the fruit of your Holy Spirit, the peace, the love, the joy, all those things that you give us as we rest in you, as we trust in you. Oh, Lord, I lift up my sisters tonight and those that are going through deep waters. Oh, Father, that you'll remind them that you are with them, that you will never leave them or forsake them, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can legitimately trust in you and in your promises. We thank you, God, that we are kept by your power. We thank you, we praise you, we magnify you, Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords, almighty God, we thank you that you are all powerful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.